Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Well, this series I've really enjoyed. I hope you have too. Uh, we've had a lot of different points, and I want to give you a quick summary talking about the scarlet letter, uh, specifically the label that the enemy wants to put on your life, label you about your gender, label you about your race, label you about uh, your background, label you about your sins or, or things that you're ashamed of. He wants to label you. He wants to bring damage to you, and he wants to make you live in a place of doubt. Last week, we talked about how when you live in doubt, you literally please the devil. That's how you please the devil is by staying in a place of doubt because it's the opposite of how you please God. And we'll look at a verse in just a little bit that describes not only how we please God, but what type of faith it takes to please God. But I do want to go ahead and remind you that the enemy always uses doubt as his number one source of attack because it puts you in a position where you're not able to be secure. You're not able to be confident. You're not able to stay on your position of authority and power that Jesus has given you. So there's a verse that was actually created by Jesus's brother, James. And James is talking about the type of confidence that we're supposed to have. In James 1, he literally says that you can ask God for wisdom and he will give to you generously. But when you ask, don't doubt. Because if you doubt, he literally says that you're like a a, a wave in the sea, like a ship being tossed to and fro. He literally says that you are double-minded. If you doubt, you're unstable in all of your ways, and you shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. That is a really powerful statement that we as the people of God need to pay attention to because doubt puts us in a position where we're double-minded. Doubt literally makes us double-minded. What does that mean, double-minded? It means when you can't make up your mind and stay in a place of singleness of focus about what you are supposed to do or who you are supposed to be. I know that there are times in my life where I have been doubtful and double-minded. One time that comes to mind right now is when I was launching my business a number of years ago where I would go into companies and do uh, coaching and consulting and training and teaching people how to perform in their work the same at the highest level they possibly could. And it was a combination of my career as a professional martial artist and a coach and also as a pastor to help people become the very best versions they could become. And it was a really great business idea, and it still is. But in the beginning, I struggled with it so much because I had all of these thoughts in my head, uh, thoughts that would disqualify me, thoughts that I didn't have the right type of education. I didn't have the right type of experience. Why would someone at this great big company want to hire little old me? I had all of these thoughts that as long as I allowed those thoughts in my head, it completely kept me from having any success with my idea. But as soon as I grabbed those thoughts, I took those thoughts captive, like the Bible says, and replaced them with thoughts that were compounded and strengthened by the word of God. Thoughts that thoughts like this, that God has made me for this moment. My whole life has been the education for this. I, I have the exact skill set and personality and gift to go and do this. They don't have anybody else that can do this for them. I have this experience and I can bring this to the table for them. When I replaced my doubt with 
the declarations of faith, all of a sudden the business exploded. And you can be in a place in your life where everything is right and you have everything you need. And the only thing that's holding you back is the doubt that's been sowed into your head and is coming out of your mouth. And you can literally limit yourself because you're double-minded. And a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways and shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. That's what Jesus's own brother said about doubt. Now, Jesus talked about doubt as well. You might remember a story where Jesus had cursed a fig tree and the disciples, when they saw him curse the fig tree, they must've thought, my God, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. But Jesus was literally creating an illustration to teach his disciples about faith. And so he cursed the fig tree and it died. And when they walked past that fig tree again, Peter saw it. He goes, oh my gosh, Rabbi, the, the, the fig tree is dead. And Jesus literally said this. He said, Peter, you can speak to that mountain right there. And if you don't doubt, you can command it to be thrown in the sea and it will be done for you. So the, the quality that Jesus was looking for was the quality of, of a faith that didn't have a shred of doubt in it. He said, when you pray, believe that you have already received it. No doubt, 100% belief that you've already received it when you pray, and then you shall have it. That passage is in Mark 11, verse 23, and I encourage you to read that yourself and discuss that with your family today. A powerful verse, when Jesus talks about the faith of like a, like a mustard seed. He's not talking about small faith. He literally is talking about faith that cannot be divided. See, a mustard seed is small, but it's small and it's dense and it cannot be cut in two. It cannot be divided. It's an indivisible faith that does not have any room for doubt. And that's what makes it powerful. If the enemy can keep us in a place of doubt where we're second guessing, he keeps us on the fence, unable to make a decision. So you may be in a place where you're doubting about your marriage, doubting about your business, doubting about your education. And let me, let me tell you, disappointments in life are rocket fuel for doubt. If you've gone through intense disappointments, and maybe in this season, you've seen incredible disappointments. There are businesses that are shutting down. There are uh, educational paths and dreams that are not being fulfilled. There's a lot of opportunity right now for disappointment. The Bible says that a longing fulfilled is the tree of life, but disappointment or a longing that is, that is not fulfilled, it rots your bones. It's important that we understand that we've got to figure out a way to deal with doubt and move beyond that place where the enemy wants to get us stuck. Why? Because God wants you to do really big things for him. God wants you to tap into that super faith. And he literally, what the Lord is speaking to me today for you is that God wants to label you the same way the enemy is trying to counterfeit and give you a fake label that if he can give you this fake label and keep you in a place of doubt because of a label he's put on you, a scarlet letter that he's put on you, then he can keep you from fulfilling what God has designed for you to fulfill. But God wants to put a label on you. He wants to label your faith as a super powerful faith that can move mountains and do incredible things. Doubt will make you double-minded. And it's important that you understand that even though every single one of us struggles with doubt, every single one of us are going to go through times 
where we get disappointed and we look at the situation and we say, I don't know how this could possibly work. We're always going to have moments like that in our life. And that's okay because Jesus will help you in your place and your time of weakness. He'll help you in your time of doubt. And the more intense a situation is, the more likely it is to cause you to stumble or trip you up or keep you from being able to get past it quickly. There's another story in the Bible where Jesus had gone up on the mountain uh, with Peter and James and John, and they'd had this incredible encounter uh, with, uh, with Elijah and, and, and um, Moses, and this is amazing experience. And they come back down, and there's a father who had brought his son, who was demon-possessed, to be delivered by Jesus. But Jesus wasn't there. The other disciples were there, and they couldn't do anything about it. And, he, and the dad was frustrated and Jesus was like, what's going on here? And he says, I tried to get my son delivered, but your disciples couldn't do anything. And Jesus goes, oh my gosh, how long do I have to suffer with these people who have such little faith? Jesus said some crazy stuff uh, to his disciples to challenge them and chide them. And then Jesus says, how long has this been going on? The dad said, it's been going on his whole life. This, this demon wants to throw him into the fire or throw him into water. He'll have these seizures and, it, and it's trying to kill him. And, and the father says, if you can do anything about it, Jesus, will you please have pity on us and have mercy on us? And Jesus responds. He says, if, if I can do anything about it, Jesus literally says, if I can do anything about it, he goes with faith, all things are possible if you believe. And the man says, Jesus, I believe, but will you help me? with my unbelief. And Jesus says, yes. And then he heals his son. See, even in a place of unbelief, Jesus is still there committed to help you believe enough to move forward into that place where he can release you into the success, into the victory, into the healing, into the new place of life. But listen, it's just like that situation. How much harder is it for a parent when they're looking at a scenario with their children and they don't know how to overcome? Guys, I can relate to that. I can relate to being face-to-face -face with a challenge about my child that I was helpless to be able to solve the problem. And it was the first time in my life, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty scrappy dude, and I'm the type of person that if I have a problem, I'm always looking for a solution, and I've got this sense of belief or faith that we're going to make it through this, and we're going to overcome, and we're going to get past this, and it's going to be okay. And that's all well and good until my daughter died of brain cancer. And it was the first time in my life where I literally was face to face with something that I couldn't fix, I couldn't solve. It was final, it was fatal. There was no coming back from it. And I lived, I gotta tell you, I lived in a place of incredible doubt for a very, very long time. For years, I dealt with doubt. And I still had faith, but I was dealing with incredible unbelief. And God never left my side through that season. I remember a time where I was praying, and I, I, I literally, I hope, I hope this doesn't uh, cause anyone to, to have more doubt, but maybe this will help align with, and I might align with you and some things, but I was literally in a place where I didn't even know if I believed the Bible anymore because, because of how devastating it was to walk through that time of, of death with my daughter. 
And I didn't even know what I believed. And, and that's, guys, that's, that's okay for normal folk. It's not okay when you're a pastor. When you're a pastor and you don't know if you believe the Bible anymore, that's problem. That's pretty problematic uh, when you're in that position. But I was literally in that place with God and I was arguing with God and I'm like, God, I know that you are. And I know somehow you're good. But I don't know if I believe anything else right now. And God met me in that place of weakness. He met me in that place of honesty. And he says, now I can work with you. And he began to teach me and train me that that's the type of faith that actually pleased him. That's the type of faith, faith that had nothing to do with an outcome. The outcome was over. But I'm saying, God, I know you're real. I know you're there. And somehow I know you're good. And I'm going to keep serving you even though I don't understand anything else. None of it makes sense to me, but I'm going to keep following you anyway. And that's the type of faith that pleased God. God said, now I can work with that because you have a faith that's unconditional. It's not based on anything I do for you. It's based on an understanding of who I am. I had no idea that that type of faith See, did you know that the first people that believed in God for hundreds of years, for even thousands of years, people believed in God and they didn't have a Bible? So for me to say, I don't even know what I believe about the Bible, that was a tough place to be. But there were people, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people that existed before we ever existed, that there was no Bible. And they believed in God without a Bible. And now here we are. The Bible is an unbelievable benefit to us. It's the word of God written down or it's, it's parts of God's story that he's put together to help us to have a format and a foundation for our belief. It's a beautiful, amazing, powerful thing. I love the Bible. I revere the Bible. But we have to have a faith that's even bigger than the Bible. Because that's the type of faith that our ancestors, our forefathers had. Abraham had a faith that was bigger than a Bible. Moses had a faith that was bigger than a Bible. Adam had a faith that was bigger than a Bible. The Hebrews chapter 11 is full of stories of people that had incredible faith. And then it says of all of these people that every single one of them died without seeing the promise. And we get so spoiled Living in an age where we have instant information. Uh, uh, what's, what, what do you do about this? Oh, just Google it. How to anything. You can find anything in a second. You can learn anything in a second. And we're so spoiled because we can see things with a click of a button. But God is not pleased in our seeing. He's pleased in our believing. And Jesus even said when when. when uh, Philip was there and, and didn't have a chance to put his hand. I'm sorry, it wasn't Philip. It was Thomas was there and, and didn't see Jesus. And he said, I won't even believe unless I see Jesus and I can put my finger in, his, in the holes in his hands, put my, my hand in the hole in his side. I won't believe until I can see it. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, Thomas, here's my hands. Put your finger in them. Here's my side. See the hole where I was stabbed with that spear? Put, my, put your hand in it. He says, now that you've seen, you believe. But blessed are those that believe and have not seen. And guys, God is moving us to a place where we have a faith 
and we believe and we step out into the invisible. We can see with the eye of faith the invisible things that God has for us in our life. And if we can see them in faith and believe them in faith and move toward them in faith, we will one day see them in our understanding and in our natural sight as well. But it can't be about the seeing. It's got to be about a faith that pleases him. Watch this verse. This verse is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it literally says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. You have to have faith to please God. It's impossible to please him without faith. This is why, guys, the devil wants to fill you with doubt. Because he wants you to live a life where you cannot please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what type of faith is it that pleases him? Watch this. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Anyone that believes in him, the type of faith that pleases him is that you believe that he is and you believe that he's good. Guys, can you believe that in the, in the time of suffering, in the time of hurt, in the time of my biggest heartache, when God reduced me down to the most uh, tiniest fragment of who I was, the only thing that was left was the actual faith, the actual type of faith that God is looking for, that you believe that he is and you believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Guys, if we just don't quit diligently seeking him, he is and he's good and he's a rewarder. God is and God is good. Come on, you have to believe that with me today. He is and he's good. In the middle of good times, he is and he's good. In the middle of horrible times, he is and he's good. In the middle of brand new life, he is and he's good. In the middle of death and destruction, he is and he's good. No matter what's going on, God is and God is good. We have to hold on to that. It's the foundation of our faith that we just keep trusting him. We just keep trusting him. I have one more story I want to tell you today. And it's a story of a faith uh, that was expressed that was so powerful. It was so um, uh, shocking to Jesus that it literally caused him to be in wonder. It caused him to be in awe. There was a time where Jesus was uh, walking. He was about to go into the city of Capernaum, which was his home base. It's where he lived uh, by the Sea of Galilee for the three years of his ministry. And he was walking into that village, and there were two people that, that came up to him. One of them was a leper. And the leper literally said to him, a leper, he had a skin disease all over his body that caused him to be unclean, and he couldn't go into the village. The leper says, Jesus, if you are willing... I know you can make me clean. Jesus says, I can work with that. He says, I am willing. Be clean. Can I tell you guys, this leper, he had faith that God could. He had faith that, that Jesus had the ability. He knew God could. But his question was, his doubt was, are you willing? And Jesus helped him in that moment. Of, of having a shred of doubt, yes, I am willing. Never doubt that. Ladies and gentlemen, never doubt that. Young people, never doubt that. Jesus is willing. He is good. 
He's always willing to move on your behalf. He is a healer. He is a provider. He is a protector. He is your righteousness. He is everything to you. He's your victory. He is your peace. He is present with you. There's nothing that you lack in him. He is willing and he is able. And we've got to be the people of God that will not bow down. We'll be like those three Israelite boys standing in front of the fiery furnace that say to this King Nebuchadnezzar, that say to the government, we, we know that God is, we know that he's good. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, they said, our God is able and he will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will never bow down. Come on, people. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to have that type of radical faith that we will stand in the face of opposition. We'll stand in the face. Uh, and, and listen, Christians all across America for the very first time in our modern history are having to stand up against their local government and say, guess what? You can't tell us that you can't go to church because church is essential and there's a separation of church and state. So the state can't tell the church what to do. That's how our nation was founded. And we're seeing people in different parts of our country. We're really lucky, y'all, to be in Texas and have a governor like we have that is pro-church, pro-America, pro-Christians, and we have a lot of blessing and a lot of favor. There are other states that don't have that. But if you're watching the news, you're seeing Christians, man, bow up their chest and stand up and say, guess what? We're going back to church and there's nothing you can do about it. And I thank God for a president that's in agreement with that. And I hope you do too. Whether you like him or don't like him, he's taking a stand for Christians. He's taking a stand for churches. And that's a good thing. That's something to be grateful for because we cannot allow, we cannot allow our, our, our spiritual liberty, our Christian liberties to be infringed upon, to be taken over by someone else or some other entity or something else. No one can stop us from worshiping our God. And we're going to be smart and we're going to be wise and we're going to follow guidelines and all of that kind of stuff. But guys, we're coming back together. And, and, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be powerful. And I believe with all my heart what the enemy intended to weaken the church. Can I tell you what the enemy intended to destroy the church, to cause the church to sit down and stay home is actually going to be one of the biggest mistakes he ever made in our country because the Christians are going to stand and people are going to arise and we're going to see with our own eyes an unbelievable release of salvation and faith and people coming to Christ. Christ, America, the world has never been more ripe for a harvest of the kingdom of God, for the people to arise, to declare the good news, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, because people are scared and they're looking and they're in fear. And you have the answer. You have what they're looking for. You have the prince of peace that you can introduce them to. And this is our moment and this is our hour and we will arise. Can I tell you that all of that was not in my notes? I'm just following the Holy Spirit right now, and I feel it so powerfully. None of that. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to make political statements. I'm making kingdom statements. And I didn't plan on saying any of that. 
And I could just as easily go back and say, hey, scratch that. This isn't going to be good for this. No, forget that. I'm going to obey the voice of God. I'm going to say what God wants me to say. And we're going to stand up as the people of God. And we're going to arise and shine for our light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. God's people will arise. You can say amen right there in your living room. You can comment. You can share. You can do whatever. But we are going to be the people of God, and we are going to arise. We have the type of faith that pleases him. We believe that he is, and we believe that he's good. The next person that Jesus runs to in this story was a centurion. He, he, he was a Roman official, a military man. He oversaw 100 military soldiers. And he came to Jesus, and he was a believer in Jesus, even though he was Italian. He wasn't Jewish, but he believed in Jesus. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. And so he literally comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, my, uh, my, my, my servant is sick. This story is found in Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 6. He says, my servant is, is, is sick. And, and Jesus says to him, shall I come and... Shall I come to your house and heal him? Look at this. Jesus is offering. Shall I come to your house and heal him? What do you want from me? And the, and the centurion says this. He says, no, I don't deserve for you to come to my house. Just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. Because I know how this thing works. I'm a man under authority. I tell people to go and they go. I tell people to come and they come. I understand how authority works. So just say the word, Jesus, and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus is in awe. He looks around. He's like, oh, my goodness. I have not seen such faith like this in all of Israel. And then later he says, just as you have believed, so it shall be done. And that man's servant was healed in that moment. Jesus made a connection between the understanding of authority and faith. What this man said, I understand the authority flow and the structure. I'm a military man. I get how this works. I'm under authority. So just send the word. The, the, the centurion was talking about understanding authority. Jesus called it faith. What's the connection there? It's a powerful thing if we can wrap our minds around this. Because the label that God wants to put on you, the label, the, the, the scarlet letter that God wants to put on you is the letter of faith. It's not just any kind of faith. It's childlike faith. Jesus literally said that if, if you want to have fact, I want to read this verse to you. This verse is found in Matthew 18. He says, I tell you, uh, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked multiple times in scripture about people having a faith like a child. It's time for us as God's people to come back to a place of kid faith. We've got to come back to a place of kid faith. All of you kids, you kids are powerful. You have a powerful ability to just believe. But listen, Kids don't just believe and not ask questions. Kids ask questions. Kids want to know, how does this work? What's the deal with this? And they're asking innocent questions because they want to understand how it works. And then they just believe. And that's what this military man had 
described without, without recognizing that he had asked the right questions, figured out how it worked, and now he just trusted implicitly. It's not that different from Mary when she was told that she was going to be, uh, become pregnant and have a baby and it was going to be the son of God. She says, okay, but um, how does this work? And, and, and the angel described it to her and the whole thing was great. She just needed to, I just have a question. How is this going to work? And that's part of that childlike faith. Kids ask questions. Kids, sometimes you drive your parents crazy with all the questions that you have, but that's part of your superpower. Because if you can ask those questions and get the right answer and then just believe, have this innocent ability to just believe, my daddy said this and I believe it. My, my, my dad explained this to me and I believe. My mom explained this to me and I believe. My God explained this to me and I believe. Childlike faith is your superpower. And we got to come to a place. It's the combination. It's Listen, it's not about just believing and it being flippant and whatever. Jesus said childlike faith. And then the faith that was so impressive to him was the faith that just believed, but had asked the questions, the curiosity, and had an innocent place. See, your innocence is part of your superpower. That's what this childlike faith is. It's a combination of curiosity and innocence. And one of the things you got to hold on to as kids, that you got to hold on to your innocence. Your parents are trying to protect you of your innocence. That's why God did not want Adam and Eve to eat that fruit in the garden and have the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't want them to deal with evil. He wanted them to stay in a place of innocence because that's where their superpower lied. And as adults, the hardest thing is that we've lost our innocence and we have to struggle and strive to get our innocent perspective back because we can go through death. Decades of life that literally build up files and files and files of cases against God because of all the things we've seen in our lifetime. And we're looking face to face at these case files of disappointments that have stolen our innocence and stolen our power. And so we stop asking for big things. We stop praying gutsy prayers. We stop taking risks. We stop stepping out of the boat We've got to get into a place. Guys, we've got to come back. We've got to get our innocence back. We've got to rid ourselves of the demonic doubt. And we've got to come back to this place of innocent, curious, powerful, super faith. That's what God wants to label you with today. Would you come back to kid faith? I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer to get your innocence back. Because I just have this strong feeling that there are some people that have been so disappointed at certain things in life. They become so jaded. The perspective becomes so jaded that you look at things in life and instead of, instead of just believing and just trusting like a child, you, you, you make excuses and you make, up, you, you make up reasons why it's not going to work because of what you've seen before and you're stuck in a place of doubt because of jaded experiences. Would you just repent of that today? That's what Jesus said. Unless you change, watch this, unless you change and become like an innocent child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Can I, can I tell you this? Why is that important? How does it connect to the centurion's understanding? The word kingdom literally means the realm of authority of the king. Unless you change the way yeah, you yeah. think, and come back to a place of childlike innocence. You cannot enter the realm of authority of the king of heaven. That's what Jesus was saying.
And we as adults have got to change the way we think, come back to a place of innocence because our ability to manifest the authority of the king of heaven on earth is dependent upon our innocent faith and connecting to the authority of the God of the universe. Pray this prayer with me across the room. Say, Father, give me an innocent perspective. Renew my innocence. Father, forgive me. I repent. I change my thinking today. And I choose to be innocent in my mind. Forgive me for my arguments. Forgive me for my attitudes. And restore my innocent faith. Give me faith like a child. And bring me into a place of power. If there's someone that you need to forgive, that's one of the number one things. If someone's hurt you, harmed you, wronged you, disappointed you, you have to forgive them. If you don't forgive them, you can't have your innocence back. Who's that person that you need to forgive? I'm talking to somebody right now that's watching in the living room. You're listening in your car. Who is that person that you're holding on resentment against? And that resentment, that unforgiveness is keeping you from your innocent childlike faith and it's making your prayers impotent. And if you can forgive them again and again and again and again and again and again, forgive them, release them, bless them. Forgive them, release them, bless them. But Joel, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they betrayed me. I probably actually do because I've been betrayed. I've been spoken against. I've had a lot of stuff that I've gone through in my life. I've had some pretty significant hurts in my life and I still have to work through certain levels of forgiveness too. But we got to forgive and release and bless. Forgive and release and bless. Father, I forgive them. I release them to you. And I ask you to bless them, save them, restore them, give them heaven. We can't be dealers of curse. We got to be dealers of blessing. That's what's going to keep us in that place of innocence. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.